Did Brett Erickson move to Austin, Texas just to make my prediction wrong? We'll talk about it on this episode of the Mind Dog TV podcast. Welcome, my friends, to yet another episode of the Mind Dog TV Podcast. I'm Matt Napo. Thanks for coming. It's great to have you here. As always, we're going to have some fun tonight. Uh, just a brief programming note before we get started. Uh, April Burke was supposed to be with me tomorrow. Uh, great comedian, local comedian. Uh, she's not going to make it tomorrow. She's got some health issues that came up. We will be rescheduling probably early next week. I'll let you know when that's going to happen. We have a uh, great comedian with, with us tonight. Um, you know, stand-up comedians generally, for the most part, very intelligent, very smart people. There are a few exceptions. Uh, but even like, those few exceptions uh, are pretty intelligent in, in a lot of ways, and some of them are intentionally dumbing down their material to, to play to a larger audience for a bankroll, so they're not all that stupid. So let's just take it on face value that stand-up comedians are the smarter than the average bear type of person. Now, my guest tonight is known uh, by his peers, uh, his contemporaries, and the fans as a very smart comedian, somebody who is very uh, cerebral in his comedy. You need to think about it. You can't just uh, get her done. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't want to go there. Uh, but let's just say he's uh, smart among the smartest. So uh, it's my pleasure to have him here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, Please open your ears, open your minds, and help me welcome in Brett Erickson to the Mind Dog TV podcast. Brett, welcome. That's exactly what I was talking about. That 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 is. <laughs> I was the, trying to think of the look I should have on my face <laughs> after that introduction. Well, you see the the, the, uh, I, the idea behind <laughs> the the idea behind that intro is to put all the pressure on you and all the expectation that you're going to be really smart and really funny and zero uh, expectation that yeah. I might even come close to being smart or funny. So it's yeah, all cool. We'll, well, we'll <laughs> find out. I, I, can, I cannot guarantee you that I will be smart, but I can guarantee you I'll be drunk. Okay. Well, that's Cheers. enough. Thanks that's for a, having me on. It's my pleasure to have you on. And I got to tell you, about eight months ago on this show, I made a really bad prediction. I said that if comedians were stocks, I would urge everybody to put all their money into Brett Erickson. My thinking was <laughs> that uh, I had heard everybody was making an exodus from L.A., which I uh -huh. think is the epicenter of comedy on planet Earth, and uh -huh. going to Austin, Texas. And I said, Brett's going to be the only real comedian left in LA the spotlight's going to be on him all of a sudden he's going to get all this attention you can see HBO calling and he's going to have specials yep. and now um I understand you're in Austin Texas <laughs> yeah yeah what was that you said about being a smart guy <laughs> <laughs> yes so, grab that bullshit I'm in Austin Texas man so what is the uh what uh, Aside from any income tax, what is the real benefit of being located in Austin, Texas for the comedians? I can only speak to the real benefit for me being in Austin, Texas, and that is the fact that my wife has been hired to manage Joe Rogan's new comedy club. So uh, when that happens, you go. And, wow. Uh, Congratulations yeah, to her. Yeah, Congratulations yeah, to you. Great. Wow. 
Thanks. Uh, she's great. Uh, she's a uh, she's one of the best goddamn people and bartenders uh, in equal measure that there is. And uh, she was the if you've been to the comedy store, you may have seen her. She ran the uh, VIP comics only bar in the back. And uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, she hit it off with all the comics, too. And uh, now she's uh, going to be running Joe's Club. So um, that's pretty exciting. So, yeah, so we decided to come to Austin. But I tell you, I do, uh, I do enjoy Los Angeles very, very much. So I do miss it. Yeah, um, I didn't know uh, Rogan was opening a club. Good for him. Yeah. As well. he's got to do something with all that money. He's probably yeah. trying to figure out what he can do with all that extra cash now. Oh, uh, man. Um, so I understand. I think anyway, I understand because I went to your website to look at dates and I didn't see it there. <laughs> but I, I understand you're going to Alaska. I, this is what I love about you. This is how much of a professional this man is. <laughs> I looked at uh, on the on the tweet you put out today about the show. And I, I looked at my bio that you you uh, you cut and pasted from my website, and I noticed that you'd updated it for me. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm like, man, this guy, well, this is a real professional operation I'm going to be dealing with. Today. <laughs> uh, I already forgot the question. What was it? Alaska. You're going to? Oh, Alaska. I'm going to it. Yeah, I don't. Here's the thing. I don't update my goddamn web. Does anybody update their actual website anymore? No, I don't know that do. they do. I, no. I, yeah, there's so. Here's the thing. I already spend more time than I want to on social media. I I I, I recently have been pulling back from uh, social media just because I I needed to for my head, my brain. And uh, and I like that. When I started out doing comedy, there wasn't social media. You know, you you called the comedy clubs, you sent them tapes, they hired you, they did the promotion, you went to the show, that was it. I liked it that way. Now, obviously, I'm a, you know old man yelling at cloud right now, but it's not the <laughs> way it's going to be. But I I it, I just you know there's just too much of that shit, and I and I definitely. Not, I didn't get into stand up comedy to be a website designer. No, I so, get it. You know, so I, so I don't. So, but I, but to your question, and I do remember it now, uh, this time, I am going to Alaska. I'll be up in Alaska next week at Chilkoot Charlie's on the 10th, 11th, and 12th of June. So if uh, you got any uh, people up there in Anchorage, come on out. Look, yeah. Chilkoot Charlie's is a legendary place. I was looking at my demographics uh, and my analytics today to notice I have, uh, I think, 30 unique listeners in Anchorage. <laughs> there you go. Oh, that's perfect. <laughs> Look, I, I, I'm not even lying. I, luckily for me, uh, I am just at the level of success where 30 people would make a big difference. Wow. So if even some of them come out, that'll be nice. And uh, our good friend from the Issues with Andy podcast, Mr. Greg Shaley, will be there with me in Alaska. And uh, you'll get to see him, too, if you watch have, the podcast. Have you done Alaska before? Many times. Yeah, okay. I've been up there a lot. That, uh, this is why I'm asking you why I even brought up Alaska. Um, right. When you go there, uh, do you feel like you have to uh, make your material even more edgy or as edgy as possible, knowing the audience is going to be rapists, murderers, and prison bear killers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you, you, I, I dial back my uh, my liberal uh, politics a little bit, maybe. <laughs> yeah. You know, because everybody's got a gun. 
Alaska. Yeah, yeah. Well, so, I've, I've had several guests who went to Alaska and ended up doing eight or ten years in jail. Seriously, yeah, really? At probably a handful, probably maybe five or six people who actually went to Alaska for a good time or vacation, uh-huh. a fishing trip, and ended up going to jail for uh-huh. assault, robbery, something. So, yeah. uh, so it, it seemed like a very wild west place, and it doesn't seem like a place for it's uh, it's people it's of crazy. Your, <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I'm not. I, you know, it, what's interesting because uh, uh, Shaley and I and uh, his lovely paramour Tracy and a few other friends are going to go after we do the shows. We're going to get in an RV and we're going to drive up into Denali National Park to see Mount Denali, the old Mount McKinley for you old timers. And uh, we're going to go camping for a couple of days, and that's going to be exciting because it's going to be uh, the summer solstice. I bet you the weather uh, is better there than it is here. It's amazing. (laughs) It's 24 hours of sunlight, and it'll be, you know, nice 50s to 70s, I think, something like that. I'm guessing. I don't know what the temperature is going to be. But the goddamn sun's going to be out at midnight, and I'm excited to see that. That'll be cool, I think. Well, uh, good luck, and I hope I hope you make it back to Austin. I really do. And don't go to to jail. Don't hang out with anybody with uh, guns. So here's the deal. Greg Shaley... Uh, used to work at Chilkoot Charlie's. That's how he met Doug Stanhope and Mitch Hedberg and all the guys that he's worked with through the years and how we ended up meeting. So he's a veteran. He lived in Anchorage for 10 or 15 years or something like that. And he's like my little Mount Everest Sherpa. You know what I mean? Like I'll stay <laughs> close to him. I'll keep a hand on his back like I'm a blind man crossing the street and uh, I'll make it back to Austin. Will he keep a hat on and cover cover that? Because I would think the young Aaron in Alaska probably yeah. doesn't go over too well either. Yeah, yeah, he does look like uh, I don't know what he looks like. He looks like a chicken just hatching from its egg. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Got that little tuft of chicken hair popping out. Well, um, he, he seems like a, a nice chicken. I noticed uh, the few times he's mentioned me, he's called it my, Mad Dog Radio. Yeah. Which no, I, he's not good at reading. He's a bad reader, but a actually, good guy. He, he's kind of psychic because that's how I got my start 35 years ago. It was Mad Dog originally, and I was on the uh-huh. radio. So, But it, there's yeah. no way he would know that. Let's talk radio. Where You sound definitely, I, as soon as I heard your voice, I thought this is definitely a radio guy. Uh, did you know that I was a radio guy before I did, I did not, stand up? I yeah. did not know that. Yeah. Where? Well, maybe maybe if I updated my goddamn website, I'd have my bio in it. Uh, I was a I did radio in Illinois. I grew up in Illinois, and I uh, graduated from college. I went and started working in Peoria, Illinois, in radio. Wow. And uh, yeah, big time. And I uh, I had a morning radio show at a couple different stations for a while in the nineties. And uh, I thought, well, this doesn't seem like it's going to be around forever, radio. <laughs> and uh, and then I got fired from a couple stations, and I just said, "Fuck it, I'm going to go do stand." I'd been doing. I was doing a little stand up at the time, just to because I had all the. I did what you, what you're doing. I had all the. I interviewed all the comedians on my my radio show. I hosted at the club in town, and then uh, uh, when the radio station told me to take a long walk off a short pier, I said, "All right." I'll uh, I'll do stand up for a while, and that was in 1999. Yeah, yeah. wow. Yeah, yeah. I love radio, though, man. I loved it. I, if if I didn't see that, you know, it, it looked to me like towns like Peoria and even a little bigger were were drying up for radio broadcast talent. 
Everywhere you know, is, and especially yeah. at that time with everybody going to satellite and who yeah. knows. I think satellite is even on its way out now, giving yeah. way to digital streaming ser- uh, radio and that kind of stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. it, but when I was in, I got in it for, I was doing an overnight show with crazy people. I mean, UFO people, Bigfoot people, ghost oh, psychics, yeah. all that kind of stuff. That yeah. was my bag. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Right. It, it was. Were you in? <laughs> You an Art Bell fan? You probably get asked this a lot. Yeah, of course. I had him on my show a couple of times, interviewed him a couple of times. I had the other Art Bell on just a couple of weeks ago. The the other Art uh, Bell being the guy who sure. founded Comedy Central. Who's that? Do I know that? Uh, who that Art, is? Art Bell uh, founded Comedy Central. Oh, there's a... Di- oh, yeah, I, I, his name is actually Art Bell. There's two <laughs> yeah, Art Bell yes. now. <laughs> I thought you were going to tell me you talked to George Nori. Uh, no, I talked to Jeremy Nori. <laughs> ah, no, I, I used to love Art Bell. I'll tell you, you probably know this from talking to comics, especially if you talk to guys who were road dogs in the you know 90s and early 2000s. Art Bell was just a part of it because you drove, you were always driving overnight somewhere. And this was before, you know, Sirius XM and all that shit. You just you you'd drive across the Dakotas and you'd get Art Bell for a while when you were outside of a pier and then you'd drive and you'd be trying to make it to Bismarck and it'd fade out a little bit. And then you'd have to tune it in on another thing. And then he'd catch it again for a second. I used to love that shit, man. Yeah, I, I did too. And I used to travel because uh, I was, you know, doing going from different band to different band at that time. Well, uh-huh. when he was on the radio and during the night, you would try to tune him in wherever you could. Uh, got a little spooky when you were all by yourself sometimes going from one down to two o'clock in the morning and you're listening to that stuff. <laughs> <It> <laughs> yeah, yeah, really yeah. Uh, but what really burnt me out on that is just you know, the whole conspiracy stuff. And I thought at that time uh, it was getting to uh it was getting over overloaded with conspiracies and people were just going nuts and never saw the place where we'd be today unbelievable Uh, it's really insane uh so and i know uh that you are among the let's bring in that banner so we can kind of promote the issues with andy podcast a little bit yeah yeah take my stupid fucking website down off the bottom of there i no one don't go there unless you want to see the updates that they've made here (laughs) on okay. my website yeah so, issues with andy that's where you go for this. that that's an older picture from about 13 episodes ago but patreon.com slash issues with andy and brett that's is uh, one of the four uh co-hosts uh, uh, on that program now i know where the name came from but the concept of the show seems to be and maybe i have it wrong maybe there was no concept it was just let's together let's get together and do a, a podcast but it seems to be let's let andy talk your role seems to be to keep the public uh, informed of where Andy's going and kind of fill in, <laughs> fill in the gaps of the things he forgets to say. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and yeah. Ch- Chaley is there for the comic relief with the images and f- stuff. And then Chad just drinks and smokes. And then when he, whenever he thinks of something <laughs> funny to say, yeah. but was, yeah. was there an intent, a content meeting that said, what are we going to do? Or you guys just said, no, let's get together and have a podcast. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it was definitely more the latter. And then it just sort of became the, uh, well, I mean, the, it, it worked out perfectly because we ended up calling it issues with Andy because at the beginning, Andy kept having problems figuring out how his computer worked and how Skype and he couldn't get this and his microphone wouldn't work and we would all be there and we could hear him and see him but he couldn't see us and he'd be going fuck the cocksucker and he'd be cussing and screaming and messing with stuff and we'd laugh at him so that's how we came up with the name and then but it it 
it kind of just organically became his vehicle. I mean, it was just four friends hanging out to do a podcast. And uh, it's just, it's such a good vehicle for the mind, for his brain. It totally is. It it really just, you know, it, it, I have absolutely no problem. I've known Andy for so long. I have, he makes me laugh so hard that I have no problem. I don't consider it taking a back seat. It's more like this show is like Abbott, 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 and Costello. And <laughs> it takes three Abbots to rein in one Costello in this case, because Andy's fucking crazy, but in a, in a beautiful mind sort of way. And, uh, I think uh, we described it one time as as uh, the three of us exist as those those rubber bumpers that they put in the bowling alleys when the kids are bowling, exactly. so that not the ball doesn't always go in the gutter. Andy will be telling a story, and he hits the gutter over here, and then we got to bounce him back into the middle of the lane. Then he hits it over here, and we send him back this way, and uh, it's, it's a damn blast. I love it. Yeah, well, I have to say, in no smoke, it's the absolute best use of podcast technology ever. Good. Uh, and, wow, and, that's and, nice to hear. You know, it, it's, uh, I don't know if it was accidental, but it's a stroke of genius the way uh, he is allowed to just kind of freestyle and you guys serve your roles. Oh, now, I goodness. noticed uh, on a episode about three weeks ago that you and I were in sync on a therapeutic level of, oh, wait a minute, we've had a breakthrough here. When Andy was talking about uh, a porn uh, film that he, he got aroused as a young man about running out of, oh, Marilyn Chambers running out of oh, gas yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. at the same moment it hit me, it's like, wait a minute, this Wasn't means something. We've, we've, yeah. we've cracked the guy's psyche a little bit. Yeah. Has he developed and grown from that, from that piece of enlightenment? I- you know, that particular piece of enlightenment, I'm not sure. Sometimes I think he, he's a little bit like a bucket with a hole in it. You know, like <laughs> you, you fill it up and it's full and then it's not full again. You got to fill it back up. Uh, he, he, So I don't know that he keeps it connected. But that was something because I, I've I've been with him. I've traveled with him numerous times. And he's that's not new behavior, Being always being close to running out of gas. And then when we find out that that was the plot of the very first porn he watched with the freak who molested him, it was like, wait a minute here. I'm not a fucking psychologist, but I think we might have gotten to something. I think you came across as somebody who had some therapeutic cognitive uh, therapy training or something. Well, I... It's not that. You know what it is? It's comedy training because all I th- I was thinking callback. That's a callback to an earlier joke. We ran out of gas <laughs> on an earlier episode. It just happened to, you know, it's like the Venn diagram where comedy callback and, and therapy cross over. And that was the the middle part right there. That was great. Good, good. Segue. Andy was on. Andy was on here before, right? Andy oh yeah, I, yeah. I love Andy, and I was trying to uh, be for, be you three guys and try to just let him talk that whole time. But uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know, he's such an interesting guy, and what a what a and, you know. It, I tell my wife stories about his life. Is like because people think I'm interesting. You should write a book. It's like mm-hmm. you gotta you gotta check out issues with Andy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's I, fun. I had a psychic on the program who, who wanted to do a reading for me, and she said, "Well, uh-huh. might, might embarrass you, and I think you're afraid to let me talk talk about your secrets." I said, "No, I'm an open book." And she started talking about some of the shit that she uh, 
picked up on me. And uh -huh. I, and then I said, you know, yeah, you could say that, but I, and here's the real deal. And I told her, and she went, wow, sorry to hear that. <laughs> I, and, and basically I said, well, everybody's got some fucked up shit, right? Yeah. And she said, not that fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you can write it all down, but just don't put the book out till you're dead. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that kind of, you never know. So you talked about callback to another joke. Uh, as I mentioned, you are a cerebral comic. Now, a lot of the things, uh, if I compared you to, to the, like the blue collar guys, you you have a, you have to come with your brain intact. You can't be too stoned to go to your show and think you're going to uh, laugh a lot because you have to think about it. Uh, this, yeah. you, you mentioned earlier, you know, 30 people would make a big difference at this point in your career. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think because you, you don't compromise and don't dumb it down, that hurts your career at all? I, I, maybe. I don't know. But I don't. I don't do it. I don't, I don't think about it like that. You know what I mean? And I don't, I don't measure success in, in just in dollars. I, I am a happy person and that's what I give a fuck about. Like I, I, I started doing comedy in the late nineties and I just did it in the Midwest because I have two kids and I, I was divorced and I had joint custody of these kids and I was doing the road all the time and I just wasn't home very much. So then I, I, I stopped doing the road all the time. I got a full-time construction job. I worked at the comedy club on the weekends and I stayed in Peoria. Uh, I went to volleyball games and soccer games and, 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 you know, Christmas programs and shit like that. And that hurt my career more than anything that more than, you know, cerebral comedy or whatever that hurt my career, but it made me a happy person. So uh, there's no way I would do it any different. I have a great relationship with my kids. They're, they're, they're healthy, well-adjusted adults. And it, you know, after they both were out of high school and they were in college and off in different cities doing their own thing, that's when, the, the, the old lady and I picked up and took off and went to L.A. So, you know, I've only been really attacking comedy full time in these last few years in L.A. and now Austin. So, you know, that that's if I had, you know, I don't regret it is what I'm saying. I have I've had a blast and I still get to do the comedy I get to do. I'm uh, I'm happy with the results. You know what I mean? I, Good I don't, for you. I, I don't answer to anybody else. I do it the way I want to do it. And, and guess what else? When I don't feel like doing it, I don't fucking do it. it, it it's like I, I work with some of these guys in L.A. and I have the, uh, the utmost respect for some of these kids. Hustle like you have never fucking seen. They're, they do three or four mics a night. Their fucking lives are stand-up comedy. And, and I respect that. And I think that's amazing. It just ain't who I am. I don't Beautiful. give a. I don't give that much of a fuck. I like it, but I like I like doing other shit too. So, I love that attitude, man. Yeah. I re I relate to that in a big way, and I've tried I've tried to preach that to some people. Uh, not that I. You know, everybody's different, you know. Everybody's got to do what they like to do. But uh, you know, I've had a lot of musicians who uh, crave fame, and uh -huh. I was like, you know what? I I've been down that road and chased fame when I was young. 
but I've seen it destroy people's lives too. So I, I got happy being a club level musician, staying within the tri-state area here and not going out and being national stuff because yeah. as long as it makes me happy doing what I do when I want to do it and I pick and choose the work I want to take and not necessarily just taking stuff to keep working mm-hmm. and stuff. Yeah. I think that that is a much better way to stay happy if you're of that mindset. Now, yeah, I you know, I mean, I I wish I could claim some sort of, uh, you know, philosophical genius or understanding. <laughs> it just sort of worked out that way. You know what I mean? Like I felt kind of fell into the right decision. I, I didn't feel like with my kids I had much of a choice, but I, you know, I, I I felt good about it. Like I, I, I like my kids, you know, <laughs> I like hanging out with them. So, you know, it was all good. And that uh, it's been a perfect uh, kind of recipe for me, you know? Right. So, so uh, with that approach now, when you're on stage and uh, I haven't seen you live, all I've seen you stand up is through videos. So I don't, uh-huh. I've never been in the same room and I know it's different there, but it seems to me your confidence with your material and this, it might be just smoke and mirrors because you don't, you you know you never it see is. the it person is. in a psyche, but you seem extremely confident, more so than a lot of comedians, with the ability to let a premise breathe and set up something and give it a yeah. second to sink in. Where other people are just, and we talk about radio, afraid of dead air. Uh-huh. You seem to be very comfortable with putting that out there. Am I wrong? I, you're not wrong, and I'll tell you what, that's a, a, a really good observation, and it's the radio thing that drove me to it, because when I started doing stand-up, I was definitely not comfortable with that silence because of the radio. You right. cannot have dead air. You know, I still have dreams where I'm working at a radio station, and it's my like my first day, and and I can't, I can't remember the call letters, and <laughs> I... I can't, uh, I can't find the song. Like when I started doing radio, we still had the songs were on the eight, like the eight track style cartridges, the big carts they were called, you know, like we had a rack of them, you know, 600 songs on carts. And we'd have these like eight track player kind of things where you shoved them all in and you hit the button and it would start. And, you know, you had to like, oh, you're, you got your song list for the hour and you'd go back to your rack and you'd get, oh, this song and then this song's next and then this song and you'd come over and you'd have a stack of fucking songs and you'd set them right here and you'd put the first one in and you'd hit it and hey, everybody, here we are. And my dream is that I cannot find these songs. I can't find where the music <laughs> is. Where is it? And the song that that is, is ending. There's a song ending right. and it's time and I can't remember the call letters and that fear of that still is in my brain i can relate i I have that dream now i I don't have have, i don't have scary dreams like that about stand-up i don't know what it is i started doing stand-up at the club in peoria the jukebox comedy club and uh i just i i kind of like said fuck it and dove into that where i just there was a there was a one comic from Chicago. I think he's probably retired now because he was an older guy, but a really funny guy if you could find him online. I don't even know if he has anything online, but the guy's name was Paul Kelly. And if you talk to Chicago comedians, they'll tell you that uh, he was a legend back in the 80s and 90s. And he would go up there sometimes and he would just stand there for the first 60 seconds without saying anything. And it was mortifying. And but by <laughs> He was so comfortable that by, by the end of it, everyone was laughing. He hadn't said anything. Everyone was just laughing because he just kind of 
did that for a little while and just kind of kept looking at everybody. And he'd look at somebody for a little bit more. And he was so, everyone was like, what is happening? Everyone got really nervous. You could see everyone get go anxious and afraid. Why isn't he talking? And then, oh, he's doing this on purpose. And they'd kind of, kind of calm down a little bit and relax. And then once they get comfortable in it and they see that you're not afraid of it, then they get comfortable and then they can relax, let their guard down. And now you can talk to them about anything. Because well, they're because you you you've broken through that that wall. The first guy I ever saw do that was Andy Kaufman, but he never uh, he never took he it much right. past that. And <laughs> he, he basically stayed in um, yeah, you know, yeah in that crazy. weirdness for a long time. There were times yeah. where before he actually was on Saturday Night Live and Johnny Carson, where we'd see him in New York City and. Uh, basically walk out of there like, what the fuck? Was that a comedy yeah. show or not? Yeah. And yeah. he loved that stuff. But Yeah, yeah, he uh, wrestled women. <laughs> well, that was Only. The end. That Only. was at the end, yeah. yeah. Uh, um, would, it, would it be fair to say that you are, I think it's fair to say that you're the most uh, politically vocal of the four people, uh, four hosts of Issues with Andy? Maybe. Andy's, Andy's pretty uh, hardcore... I'm just gonna say hardcore is not the right word. Andy is his set. He's committed is, to the issues that matter to him. He, he's he's got it in. It's infused into his point of view as well. Now it it comes out in different ways. So mine, for me, is probably, or at least it has been in the past, a little more direct. Uh, it's it's interesting because. This now that you say this, guys, this will be fun. If anybody's in Alaska and wants to come see me, I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to get away. From, I'm going to try to get away from some of that. I'm going to try. I feel like this whole pandemic, this whole crazy fucking thing, everything has changed. You know, in my in my world, I went from you know working at the comedy store in Los Angeles, uh, feeling like I was right there, and the, I, I, I loved it. I loved it, and then. Uh, all of a sudden, pandemic hits. Everything's shut down. Uh, is California going to open back up? I don't know. Joe Rogan leaves. He comes out here. He's going to open up a new club. He calls my my wife. He's like, "Hey, you want to be?" Yes, we do. So like, it's like this whole new rebirth. And I think and my favorite comedian of all time is George Carlin. And what I loved about George Carlin was he had that 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 you know that uh, societal. Uh, bend like he you know he was a philosopher he told you what he thought about the way the world was fucked up and and how you were a part of that and I love that but he was also uh, uh, had a lot of material that was silly and and inward looking right and and that interests me and I've never gone that direction so I'm I'm trying to push myself into that area now I feel like because here's the deal I got to write a whole new act because I don't remember what the fuck I was talking about before the pandemic hit. So there's no chance in going back to any material that I had before. So it's start over time. So, you know, I've been working on some new stuff and I'm going to try to drive it into the, uh, you know, kind of uh, more about the stuff we all share personally. We'll see what happens. Well, have you been on six minutes since six the minutes into the, six minutes into the first set? I'm going to go right back to calling Trump a cocksucker. Like, hey. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would give you credit for, for lasting six minutes uh, because I know myself. Now, yeah. Is this good? You haven't been on stage since the lockdown? I, is that 
I have a couple times. I've done a couple sets here in Austin. Um, uh, and uh, I did a set in one set in San Diego before I left. Um, and I caught, and I did the comedy store a couple of times. The comedy store opened up a little bit back in the fall when they were trying to, you know, we, we thought we were going to open and then it hit, hit again. So I did some sets there, but it's, that was all really weird. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like now it's starting to be a little more like it was people, at least here I'm in Austin. I've been going to shows every night. Look, it's fucking over here, <laughs> whether it is or not, they're acting like it's done. Everything's wide open. Oh, yeah. There's no nobody's wearing masks inside anymore. Um, I'm vaccinated. I'm not worried about it. I don't know what your thoughts are on all of this, but my feeling is at this point there are vaccines available for pretty much everybody. You can get one if you want one. Go get one. If you don't want one, don't get it. I uh, agree, and that's why I that's why I brought up the political whether you, because you are a, a, at least on Twitter sometimes you share your opinions, yeah, yeah. and I think it was just yesterday that you shared one that now it's it's surprising to me, but not so surprising to me that you started. I, know, I out sounded like a libertarian yesterday, didn't I? Well, not such a libertarian, but I think the lines both that people used to, to, to define a liberal conservative they're so fucking blurred now. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame it all on trump i think trump amplified that it started before trump that whole uh -huh. blurring of the lines between what's a conservative and what's a liberal but you started out by qualifying it that i'm as liberal as an undocumented <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. and yeah. then i happen to agree with ted cruz and i was like what the <laughs> <fuck>? <laughs> all right <laughs> weird you've yeah. only been in texas for a couple weeks i'm already a fucking republican i don't think he knows what he's saying yeah well he, <laughs> yeah. Uh, let me just say this uh, fuck Ted Cruz. Right. Yes. Uh, I, but I, so, I, so I mentioned my uh, my children. One of my children is an ICU nurse. My daughter, my pride and joy. I love them both, but I like my daughter more. Um, she's uh, she's an ICU nurse. She's been dealing with the pandemic from the start. Uh, Twelve hour shifts every day, full PPE. You know, putting people on ventilators, helping people talk to their family on FaceTime, possibly for the last time, all these terribly heavy stories for a long time during it. It was, you know, she would call, she would be crying sometimes to having to, you know, find the strength to go back and keep doing this and put yourself through this emotional roller coaster. And they never, we, it, it was always very hectic and very busy, but they never got quite got overwhelmed. And now it's flattened out. Those are the people I worry about. And that's what I was saying yesterday when I said, get the vaccine or don't. Because it, it, before it was, hey, everybody, let's get the vaccine because we have to get enough people vaccinated that we, that we don't overwhelm the hospitals. Because if you, if you do end up, and we kind of lost sight of this, I feel right. like, at the beginning of the pandemic, this idea that, right. that the, the, real, the real danger of this pandemic is that everybody gets coronavirus at once. Because if everybody gets it at once, a whole bunch of people are going to die who don't have to die. And right. that's the point. So if, if we're to the point now where no matter what happens, the hospitals won't be overwhelmed. The healthcare system can handle it. So if you want the vaccine, go get it. If you don't want it, don't get it. But if you get, and if you, and then if you get, uh, coronavirus and you end up in the hospital, that's a tragic story for you and your friends and your family, but it's not a tragic story for me because it's not making my life any any worse. 
exactly. Yeah, it makes total sense. And this is why I say you're you're one of the smarter comedians out there because I don't think, or people out there, because I don't think a lot of people uh, really kept sight of that. You're right. I think we lost. Uh, the goal was to flatten the curve. We flattened the right. curve six months ago. Right. I, I played a show Thursday night, 1,800 people. One guy had a mask on. I was like, what the fuck good is that going to do? <laughs> yeah. And he had it below his nose, too. It was like, oh, yeah. well, that's part of it. Right. So, yeah. He's just comfortable with it on now. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, I think there's there's some of that too, and and some of it is still fear driven. People going to, you know, I think it's over here. The hospitals are certainly not overwhelmed here. Yeah. But yeah. people are, are still going to the stores fully masked up, and and I I'm afraid to walk in the store without a mask on just because of the social mm -hmm. uh, you know kickback I'm going to get over it. Right. So I'd rather walk in with my pants off than a mask off at this point. <laughs> I think I'd take less less flack from it, too. Yeah. Uh, I went to Trader Joe's, and I, I didn't get coronavirus, but I think I got herpes. <laughs> well, uh, so, um, you know, working that stuff, you know, and I uh, we mentioned kind of before we went on the air talking a little bit about uh, common friend Brendan Walsh now. Uh, he, oh he, you know, I don't never know when to take Brendan seriously. So he was on Twitter talking never. about people. <laughs> he goes on and talks about people shouldn't joke about coronavirus. And then the next thing, <laughs> next thing I know, he's dropping a coronavirus sex tape where, where uh -huh. a COVID sex tape, uh, not sex tape, uh, sex uh, worker call, sex call, yeah. phone yeah, sex yeah, yeah. call, where he's the doctor oh and God. the guy's dying and he's like, a, a I, <laughs> I love that man so much. It's ridiculous. I, I've, he, it's been a joy to know that dude. He is a little bit crazy and he's the funniest goddamn comedian in Los Angeles. And I, I don't know why he is not world famous. I mean, he's comics know him, you know him. Some of your fans probably know him, but not enough people do. That guy is goddamn brilliant. I love him. I agree. I'm surprised by that as well. And I, I, I you know, it, I'm surprised by so many comedians. And here's the thing, uh, you know, and we're going to get to the cancel culture stuff. And now, uh, but cancel culture can mean so many things. But in a time where it's getting really hard for comedians to know where they should draw lines anymore. And I, I'm against even any kind of rat fink bastard bringing the camera into a comedy club to begin uh -huh. with but in a time when we're seeing it getting harder and harder to know what you can do in a comedy club we're seeing also seeing more comedians than ever coming out and and becoming stand-up comics more than ever i think i've never seen it's so many stand -up. so it's, it's kind of an odd thing that the harder it gets the uh -huh. more restrictive the art form gets the more people are, are coming out to do it yeah, it, well, there are so many comedians now, and this is part of what feeds into cancel culture. There are so many comedians now that, well, first of all, there's some that shouldn't be comedians, and not because they're not funny. I don't care about that. You can either learn to be funny or you can be not funny and just fail at it forever. That, that's also fine. It's, do whatever you want. But there are so many comedians that, that they have to turn on each other. They have to cut uh, people loose you know what i mean like yeah. uh, comedians are always looking to get rid of somebody because that'll just they think that'll make their you know it'll make that easier for them to get booked because they just got rid of that guy and he's not going to get booked anymore it doesn't work that way but there is a i can see why people think that that's the way it is because there's just so many 
I mean, I would be at the comedy store Monday nights at the comedy store in Los Angeles. They do potluck, which is the open mic night. You go in, you sign up, and if they draw your name, they draw 20 names, and you get three minutes. So 20 people, three minutes is two hours long. And they would have anywhere from 180 to 225 people show up every Monday for 20 spots. And that's a lot of goddamn people. And that that's just, that's not, that's just the brand new comedians. Like that's just the new group. There's also a, you know, it, here's what I used to tell people back in Illinois after I moved to Los Angeles when they would ask me how it was going. I would say, well, it's comedy in Los Angeles and New York is, this, I'm sure the same way. Uh, you know, it's sort of a, a uh, good news, bad news sort of thing. The good news is that 90% of the comedians in Los Angeles are terrible. <laughs> yeah, I know. The, the bad news is that the other 10,000 are really, really good. Right. You know? And so, I mean, I, I could go, I would be in Los Angeles. I could go to a show every single night of the year and I would, I could go to a different venue every time and I would be guaranteed to see at least one comedian that I had never heard of that would be fucking amazing. Right. That, and and then you start to go, oh my God, like how do, how do you do this? How, how do you find your way? Because there, there are a lot of people doing it and a lot of them are really, really bad, but there's still a lot left that are really fucking good. And you're just blown away. And it's just, you're like, wow, geez, I should just go get a job at fucking Best Buy or something. I can't compete with these people. <laughs> And, well, I, uh, you know, that's the way it is. I'm, I'm glad of it because it, it makes the art form stronger and better. And I love great comedy. And I saw a lot of it in Los Angeles. But it's disheartening when you think that somebody's going to come knocking on your door to make you famous. And you realize, holy shit, I'm at the back of this fucking line. But, uh, okay, I get that the the influx of new talent new new people new blood is going to push the art form ahead but then you also have that cancel culture thing which kind of yeah. in my mind stifles art and stifles it in a big way and i, I think it was seth rogan last week who, who was talking about uh, comedians need to get over uh, your jokes don't age well and i don't mm -hmm. think it's about jokes aging well it's, i think it's about new jokes being afraid to be born because mm -hmm. <laughs> they're being aborted <laughs> we're having a, mm -hmm. an, a, a mass abortion of comedy because Right. Because we're afraid of, I can't go there. I can't go there. No, I think you might be right about that. It's the self-censoring thing that's the real problem. Um, you know, I mean, do do you see what happens to some comedians who, you know, make a, sometimes it's as simple as, you know, here's the deal. Sometimes it's a comedian is pushing the envelope and, uh, you know, trying out new things. And sometimes a comedian just makes a mistake. Right. It happens. People are, comedians are fucking human. Right. So, and then, and sometimes when you're pushing the envelope, you also make a mistake. It's the two things together. And when those two things happen at the same time, bingo, you've got a viral goddamn video sometimes. And then that person's like, oh, I didn't. Uh. And if that, and if that sort of reaction, which is all negative, ends up stifling that artist's creativity then that's uh, that's bad that's bad that's yeah. that's not helping 
So I, I agree with you. I think that. that's right. It, right. That's it, it's especially bad for that artist. And it, and it doesn't matter if it's stand up comedy or, uh, uh, or or a YouTube show or radio or painting or whatever, origami, whatever your art is. When you stop trying things that interest you because you're afraid someone won't like you for it, you're doing a bad job as an artist. So it's hard to stay focused on on that, especially when a lot of these guys, they start, they'll lose a, a lot of money. You know? Right. <laughs> so, right. Well, I'm going to, I'm going to circle back here to what you just said about um, comedians thinking that if I get so-and-so cut him out, that's going to make more bookings for me. Uh -huh. It seems to me, whether it's politics or com comedy or music or whatever it is, when things get canceled, it's the people of peer group that's canceling them. So mm -hmm. with the Tony Hinchcliffe thing, the people who are most vocal and, and angry about it were comedians. Yeah. Uh, they, they were lining up with Pang or whatever. But and, and you see it in politics, too. If people are like somebody on the right says something or gets canceled on YouTube, it's because the people on the left kind of ganged up on but political people. And it's the same thing with comedy, same thing with musicians, it's peer groups, not knowing yeah. that they're killing their own golden goose. Because if I censor what he says now, when I go on stage, I should know that that light is gonna and that microscope uh -huh. is gonna be pointing on me but people don't seem to get that do you do you feel like it's peer group related yeah oh no absolutely absolutely they they uh, in a lot of ways they can't wait to uh, to cancel somebody to to say hey good fuck you beat it and in tony's case a lot of people don't like tony that's, I know. Fact. that's just that's his personality he's a cocky son of a bitch so he rubs a lot of people the wrong way. So when they saw that video, they were like, great, you know, but, but Tony is, is just playing a, a part like a wrestler. He's like, he's the bad, he's the villain on the, you know, in wrestling. And that's all it was. And he seems to have bounced back from it. In fact, I just went to the uh, recording of the uh, first kill Tony episode that, uh, uh, so he's back. So I don't know when I started being promoted. Yeah, I started being promoted today, and I was happy to see that. You know, I'm not funny. a huge huge fan of his, but I I I was definitely um, on his side of that whole yeah. thing. I just think it's a, a personal matter, and I I don't give the benefit of the doubt that you do to Peng. I think that was an opportunity <laughs> well, moment. I did. It was. Yeah, look, look. <laughs> I. I, 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 I felt like it seemed to me that the argument that I tried to make was that Tony was just joking. And, and that's what I was trying to point out. And I, I thought I laughed at Pang. I sat there and, and, and I had some, I laughed at him. So I felt like if I had said anything other than he did a good job, I would have been that would have been dishonest of me. Now, right, as far as the as far as the uh, filming it and who filmed it and how did he get that film and why did he edit it? You know, why did he cut it off when he cut it off and all of that yeah. stuff? That's a whole another discussion. And and he doesn't look great in those discussions, frankly. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I it's it just the whole thing. It just sucks. Here's the. Here's the fucking thing, all right? It's, there's a difference between saying something 
you know, and, and being racist, I, I don't like racism. Racism is fucking stupid. But anything you say, anything you say from the stage of a stand-up comedy show shouldn't count outside of the realm of stand-up comedy. No if, if, some, if someone had an issue with Tony Hinchcliffe calling uh, Peng Dang, a, you can bleep this out if you need to, a filthy chink, <laughs> and, then, and they have a problem with that uh, because Tony didn't, clear that with Pang first and he wasn't exactly in on the bit to start with and it wasn't all completely pre-planned it was just kind of wing it and go valid complaint but if you think that that it, that it's a problem because he really thinks that and he's really promoting that that idea then you are then you don't ever go to a stand up comedy show because you're going to ruin it it's a, it's stand up comedy everything it's like it, it, it's you didn't hold carol o'connor uh, exactly. liable for what he said as archie bunker it was within the context of a show a show that has beats it has that has punchlines that has setups and premises it's all fiction so it, it, it's unfair to the uh, the artist to to draw from their their art, uh, you know, things that you think about them. In reality, their two things are separate. It's stand up fucking comedy, yeah. and and that and that really really was the issue for me. Right. So I, I just wanted everyone to understand because this was the other part that I saw about it. That you know, I'm watching fucking that that prick on TMZ, like you know clutching his pearls over the comment and he's like oh not only did he say that but but then listen to the audience right they're all they're all laughing like that was another you know another uh a statement a, a barometer of how far we've sunk in in america because we were laughing at this blatant racism no we were laughing because we could tell in the room, in the context of everything that was happening, that it was a fucking joke that right. he didn't mean it. That's why we were laughing. The laughter from the audience should have been the clue to you, that the person watching the video, that this was a, a joke and it wasn't real. So, right. you know, that... And uh, I, it's exactly what I yeah, said. And I up. said, basically, what you're doing is indicting everybody who was in that room laughing. And I happen to know one of the people who was in that room with you. <laughs> and, and I said, and if you look at his Twitter feed, you know, this guy's not going to laugh at racist material. No. So you're, you're condemning this whole room of people because you didn't hear one groan. You didn't hear anything like that. And then there's the fact that he, if five days or four days, he could have called. He knew Tony Hinchcliffe yeah. well enough to call him up and say, I was yeah. hurt by what you said uh and at least give him some heads up i'm gonna to totally destroy try to destroy your career to boost my likes and, and yeah <laughs> followers yeah it's bullshit and it's interesting that uh, uh you mentioned brendan walsh earlier because the same thing happened to brendan walsh not too long ago where uh, it was it was a bit of a different situation where he was hosting a show at the hyperion theater in la with Brendan Small, the guy who uh, uh, created uh, Metalocalypse. Right. Did I say that right? A very, very funny guy and a great musician. And they were doing a show called Brentudin, uh, Brendan and Brendan. And it was like this silly uh, uh, lark kind of a show where they were basically uh, 
uh, uh, what's that, like Kathy Lee and Hoda. It was like the, the fourth hour of Good Morning America where the hosts are kind of drunk on rosé and a little bit silly. <laughs> and that's that was the, the vibe of the show. And Brendan was playing this guy who was a complete idiot. I mean, he, everything he said was stupid. Just the same kind of dumb stuff he does with the, you know, he's always dressed in like a neck brace on and he's blah, blah, blah. And he's that, and he introduced some, I can't remember the girl's name now, but he introduced some girl uh, by commenting on her great tits. And then she did the show, never said anything to him. She was even in part, even in one of her uh, bits, she sat on a guy's lap and was like stroking his hair. Like she, she was not offended that night in any way. She knew Brendan was joking. And then a couple days later, she wrote this blog and, you know, if you type out the words he said, they look bad. And then she didn't say who it was. She just said it was a prominent L.A. comedian. And then everybody jumped in like, oh, my God, this is the problem. See, women are they, they're constantly being viewed as as bodies and not brains and blah, blah, blah. And then Brendan finally came out and said, look. It's me that she's talking about. And I was, Bob, you know, I was doing this as part of a character or whatever. And then all the people who knew Brendan kind of switched and went, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But <laughs> yeah, that makes perfect sense. But by that time, the Hyperion Theater had already canceled the show. Brendan Small and Brendan Walsh don't do a show together anymore. And it's a fucking shame because that was a really, really funny show in Los Angeles. And those two guys together were fantastic. And somebody killed it, and in both in Tony Hinchcliffe's case with uh, uh, the guy who accused him of racism and the woman who accused Brendan Walsh of being a sexist pig, both of them did it solely to advance their careers, to be, to be a victim of something to, in order to uh, put your name out there more. That sucks. Don't it do does, it. It doesn't last either. Uh -huh. I mean, you see that, you know, and I don't even want to say his name, but the guy who uh, targeted Hinchcliffe, uh, uh -huh. he's, al he's already kind of forgotten. He, he had, yes. had 5,000 followers in a single day on Twitter, and then it leveled off, and he hasn't had yeah. a new one since. So. Well, he's got no material. That's right. the problem. He was, he's new. He, right. he was in a perfect position because he was getting spots. He'd go up on Kill Tony. This is a good thing. You're in the, you're in the community. You want to be in and what he did is he took a shot he took his shot too and soon it was too, it <laughs> seems like it i mean i look i i don't know the guy so you know whatever i was do, one do of i thing, was dude. one of the 12 people in america who was familiar with this comedy before that date uh, oh really <laughs> yeah and i had seen some of his stuff and it was all about race, all about China, being yeah. Chinese and, and the Asian experience. <laughs> uh, and I know for a fact that he had heard that word before because when Tommy Chung was on this program, he used it a number of times to describe <laughs> himself. So, and I, I know he watched that program because I had been in contact with him. See, so. there you go. So that's it. So he lied, so he lied to TMZ. He, t he lied he to TMZ, it. exactly. <laughs> so, ah, whatever you know it, but it bothers me to see that cancel culture is still going on and that i can't talk sense into people who don't see that if you push this on your peers 
it's going to come back on you. It, mm -hmm. it, it's just a natural yep. thing. You're kill, killing your own golden goose. Yep. Don't you fucking see that? Yeah, it, it's yeah, like, because yeah. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of comedy and I want to see it continue to and grow. And I think it's not going to, if we, more comedians embrace this thing to get their enemy or their competition, yep. they're just going to kill it for everybody. And it's a very sad thing. So no, it is, it's a shame that we, that we try to cut out we don't want success for other people. You know how I, I, I don't know if, if, if anybody out there watching this is in the same sort of line of work where, where you, you have a, a colleague who has some success and they tell you about the success and you're happy for them, but a little part of you dies like because it wasn't you, it was them instead of you. That's all. It's comedy is a hard business because there's a lot of that. I, you know, I I'm I'm far enough along in it that I see a lot of good things happen to a lot of good people, and I see a lot of good things happen to people who I think, frankly, don't deserve it. So you have to keep your mind in the right place, and that's not always easy to do. And that's that's it leads to this sort of shit where right. we where we're we're happy to cut somebody loose. Without, we don't even want to know the context because we know that if we find out the context, we won't want to do it anymore. So we got to cut the person loose and, and, and get these numbers down so that we have a better chance of, uh, uh, of success. And you know what? Here's the thing. There's enough success out there for everybody. It's not I win and you lose. We can both win. That's exactly. How, uh, uh, that's how entertainment works. And generally, I will say this generally because it's not always the case. You can't worry about uh, somebody else's success that you nope. you feel they don't deserve it. But if the phonies will expose themselves over time, I look at Millie Vanilli, and people were really, <laughs> really jealous of them when they had number one hits. But then, you know, when they when they got exposed as being fake, their career was over instantly. And so that happens to yeah. a lot of people who are phony. You can't worry about them. You have to worry about yourself and your own success. Absolutely. Right. Uh, and um, somebody and somebody having success doesn't mean you can't have success. It's right. not a zero sum game. Right. Yeah. Well, that's the, the problem. We, I, we tend to look at everything as limited resources, but in certain areas, it is true. I mean, we're here on Long Island, we're, uh, New York, where we used to have uh, probably 30 comedy clubs on Long Island. I think there may be three or four now. Yeah, and, and so uh, it is, it is a very, I think you're going to find more coming back. I think that, you know, I read some stories. I don't know if you've talked about this at all, but I read some stuff about how, you know, after the pandemic in, in 1918, uh, when that kind of finally ended and everybody came out of it, that led into the roaring twenties and the Charleston right. and everybody partying. And I think you're going to see some of that same sort of, you know, revival when we all finally get all the way back. And I think you're, I hopefully you'll see some more comedy clubs. Uh, certainly enough goddamn comedians to fill them. No doubt about that, uh, <laughs> that roaring back type of, because uh -huh. uh, several months ago now, you know, we were still wearing masks to the club, get in the club, we'd be playing, and people were, were supposed to be wearing masks at the table, and the masks were coming off, they were dancing, being told, you know, try, try not to let people sing along or dance. That's like going to a comedian, don't make people laugh. No dancing? <laughs> yeah, no, no dancing, dancing, no singing, no, no, no. but... 
people were, were having menage a trois on the dance floor. This was like, yeah. and so uh, that roaring back, Good. they're ready to, you, you lock people up for a year and a half. What do yeah. you expect? They're going to come Dude, back. Let's go, go wild, back. man. Right. Yeah. Uh, so are you looking forward to uh, getting, you know, the Alaska trip with, with excitement? Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. The Alaska trip. And then uh, we'll get back here. Uh, the club that uh, Joe's opening up will be opening up sometime this summer. So I'm very excited about that. Austin is a, is a really really cool place. I know that everybody who already lives here is pissed off that we came, and, and I don't blame them. I get it. You know, you got a cool thing going here, and now a bunch of assholes from California and New York who just invaded your city. Uh, but it's it's very cool. So there's a lot of new clubs popping up here. A lot of places to go up and do stand up, and there's music everywhere. I think that's going to be like that uh, all over the place. So I hope that wherever you are. If you're out there, get out there, enjoy some stand-up comedy, go see some live music, go see somebody read goddamn poems. Just get out of the damn house and enjoy. Yeah, it. yeah, yeah. I, I agree, and, and I hope that happens too. I mean, it, it's it's been really it's been open here. I've been playing since last Memorial Day, so uh -huh. it's been a year. So I've been out uh, back performing every week. That's uh, great. But uh, it just we just finally lifted the mask mandate and all that stuff a couple of weeks ago. People are still a little shy about it, but I think that Roaring Twenties thing is is yeah. definitely going to happen. And uh, I, everybody comes out of the uh, pandemic in their own way, right? Right. You know what I mean? Like everyone's here's how uh, I, I don't know how uh, graphic we can get on your show. Can we get graphic on your show? You here's can... how here's how I here's how you can tell you're all the way over the pandemic here's how you know that you're done with it when you get back to ass eating i think that's <laughs> when you know when you're when you're willing to just bury your face in some stranger's ass you are well, past wearing a mask you know what i mean like I, you I, have made it you are out uh, you're through the other side right so let well, that be your barometer, everybody. One of the guests on the program uh, not too long ago told me about a guy who w went to eat her ass on the first date. And I was like, wow, first yeah. date? That's it, kind hey, of these, fucking bold. These kids, man, these kids are wild, dude. <laughs> I, I, I used to do a bit about that, about how – like, because they – and they get right in there. Remember, like, guys like us, we – we used to do it too. We called them rim jobs because you stayed around the outside. You just sort of dabbled. They're, they're just – I'm out. It's not for me. That's not for me. I'm just, you know, it's a little much for me. So, um, we, and I know we're over the I'm hour. Sorry here. to end on ass eating. I'm sorry we're, to end. We're on not that. gonna. That we like we, we got to go a couple to... more minutes because because just to, just to wash that ass. Yeah, 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 yeah. I didn't even go to the spot. Well, that's the, no, see, that's the thing. If you if you get if it tastes that that you went too far. If you right. taste anything, that's the. <laughs> All right. You're, 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 you're absolutely right. I never, <laughs> I just want to say that my sponsors, I, we didn't read the sponsor part at the beginning of the program because the sponsors asked me to bring it in uh, and, and try to incorporate the guests with it. And I blew past it, didn't even look at it. We're an hour in and I never even mentioned Entice Me, where you get your non-toxic sex toys. The link is in the description. Oh, just click on go. it. Uh, the idea is sex toys are made out of the same toxic materials uh, that they banned from children's toys. So children, mm -hmm. children will put stuff in their mouth, but sex toys are still continually made of that toxic stuff. And people are putting mm -hmm. butt plugs in and vibrators and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And, and that's, yeah, that's a real, those are real sensitive areas of your body too, right. quite obviously. Any orifice is going to have 
sort you know things that are are delicate and right. shouldn't be you know exposed to these chemicals i, I entice me entice me entice me.com links in the description and uh, and so basically check them out if you want to save your uh, butthole from uh toxic chemicals <laughs> oh, and, and, and and get a bidet Get a bidet. Everybody. You know, I, I've bidet. heard I've heard about this, and uh, yeah, I know you, your your pal Andy is in getting a, his colonoscopy today. Uh, but the benefits of bidet really do. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I it is unbelievable to me. I got a bidet a couple of years ago. Just like people think, oh, I, I didn't even really know exactly what it was, but the kind that I got, like you can get the handheld one, and you just spray your butt. Don't get that. It's, you're, it, you're you're not a hillbilly spraying yourself down with the garden hose out in the yard. Get, you can, but you can add one to your toilet where it's just you, you, you're sitting there, you're done with doing your business, and then you just press a button and clean, fresh water sprays up on there, and you just kind of scoot around a little bit, cleans off your butt, and when you go to you, when you go to the toilet paper, it's just to dry. And I, I thought to myself, well, why why haven't we been doing this the whole time? This exactly. seems like a fucking, what. It's- it's so much more economical. I mean, ecological. Uh, it's, it's, <laughs> yes. Don't be it's good for the environment. It's dangerous. It's dangerous. You're just smearing stuff around up there. You don't do that. So you get a bidet. Then you get a nice, non-toxic, entice me dildo. You get a bidet. You clean your butthole all up. You get a nice, non-toxic, entice me dildo and ram that up in there. And uh, it's all good. Ah uh, man, I thank you so much for for this time. Your great insight into ass cleansing and mm-hmm. uh, and and the trends in ass eating. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it couldn't have been a better program, Brad. I thank you uh-huh. very thank much you for this. So much for being here. That was great. I wish you great success, and, and please, uh, you know, come back again sometime, and, and let's let's do it again. Because I would really, I would really like that. I'll take you up on that. This was a lot of fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks, uh, and and bye for now. Be well. All right. Yep. See ya. Brett Erickson, folks. Uh, Issues with Andy podcast. If you're so inclined, you can go up to uh, Alaska and see him next week. Uh, although I'm not really sure where you can find out about the rest of his dates. The website, as you heard in the beginning of the program, is not updated enough. Uh, there has to be some place. Maybe his Facebook page. Maybe Twitter. I don't know where you find out where he's going to be playing by you or uh, performing by you. Uh, but look him up and, and try to try to find out on your own. I do my best to keep you informed. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this program. Tomorrow, I don't have a program. April Burke was supposed to be with me tomorrow. She has some kind of medical emergency. She needs to postpone. We'll be back uh, probably rescheduling her for next week unless I do a solo show tomorrow. So I'll be here alone. Until then, I'm Matt Napple for the Mind Dog TV Podcast. Thanks for coming. Have a great night. Bye for now.
listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now. Listen to me, listen to me, listen to me now.